You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is co-host David Leach from ITK Services. David, I trust you are well. Uh, I am well, Giles. I trust all our listeners are, are, are also well. Uh, I'm a bit under the pump tonight, to be honest, because I'm uh, looking after grandkids for the first time, but uh, I hope I'm up to the, up to the job. And we've got a great, uh, great guest all the way from West Australia that this, uh, for this issue. Yes, hopping over the Nullarbor. We haven't got electricity lines over the Nullarbor yet, but we do have wireless and telephones and things like that. So um, I'd like to introduce um, Tom Frood, the General Manager of Bright Energy. Tom, thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Giles. Good to, good to join you. Good to join you both. Yeah, look, um, yeah, absolutely. It is fantastic. Look, and it's great to know that um, David is sort of seamlessly moving from um, one daughter's wedding to looking after the grandkids um, one week after another. That's fantastic. But that's not why we're here to. Uh, that's not why we're here to talk, Tom. Um, not, right, not, the, not the same daughter. I might uh, possibly need to say. Giles. <laughs> Back on topic. Back on topic. I, I was actually thinking about halfway through explaining that. And I thought, oops. <laughs> there you go. Never mind. Never mind. Um, Tom, you're here uh, this week because um, you. You've just officially opened um, the Waradage Wind Farm, which is a 180 megawatt facility in Western Australia, one of the three biggest, I think, once um, all the other ones are complete. So congratulations on on that. Um, just tell us a bit, I've, I've just given away the size, 180 megawatts. It's um, some distance north of Perth, I understand. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's about two or three hours drive north of Perth. Um, just uh, about 100 kilometres north of, of the Yandin uh, wind farm. Um, it's uh, uh, 180 megawatts, as you say. It's 51 V136s uh, from, uh, from Vestas. Um, and, so so uh, when you say yeah. 316, is, is that 3.5 megawatt turbines? Yeah, that's right. That's right. 3.5 megawatt turbines. Um, yeah, yeah. And okay. uh, we're just in the final stages of commissioning right now, which is uh, is, is great news. And I think uh, the expected capacity factor is up around 50% uh, for those wind. It's the, like the windiest, uh, best wind area in Australia, pretty much. Oh, it's it's fantastic wind. It really is. As you say, it's it's, it's just about 50%. And it diurnally, the, the time of day is is perfect. It's uh, you know it's it's mostly uh, evening and and morning. Um, and and tends to typically drop off in the middle of the day when the solar is peaking. So it's uh, it's a really good uh, complement to to all the rooftop solar that you're getting in into uh, into WA households. And, and, and who the thing I couldn't quite work out from the public release and excuse me, I, I, West Australia is a long way away and it's virtually seceded from Australia these days. So, <laughs> um, but fortunately we still speak the same language. But uh, uh, um, who who is is the revenue contracted? Yeah, yeah, it's it's all uh, the PPA with synergy. Uh, it's one hundred percent PPA with synergy. Maybe it's time to actually just explain your the structure of Bright Energy Investments mm. because it's a um, so well, I don't know if it's a joint venture, but you've got three major shareholders there. You've got Synergy, which is the government-owned um, uh, Gen Taylor there, is CBUS, which is one of Australia's um, superannuation funds. 
And there's also the Dutch Infrastructure Fund, which is a, um, as well, much should say, a Dutch infrastructure investor, which also has an interest in the, um, oh, thinking, 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 the Bangala solar farm in um, in South Australia. So That's this right. was formed. Yeah. This was formed specifically. Give us the background here, because you were formed specifically to sort of carry out some of the investments. And um, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's quite an interesting structure. It it. Drew on, on on how PATH was set up for those who are familiar with 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 PATH. Um, That's so, the Powering Australia so, Renewables Fund set up by AGL in conjunction with the Queensland Investment Corporation. Exactly, that's that's the one. So um, Synergy had some renewable energy assets. Um, they had some in development, um, but uh, wanted the funds to to develop those on. They were after the the LGCs and and the power, um, so what they decided to do was uh, to sell eighty um, percent of the uh, assets um, to to CBAS and DIF. They went through a tender process. CBAS and DIF came came out as as the preferred uh, partners, um, and uh, so they sold out their uh, the, these three assets, um, and CBAS and DIF provided. Uh, the the funds to uh, to build out Waradaji and the uh, extension to to Greenwich Solar Farm, um, so uh, it enabled Synergy to uh, expand that uh, those those facilities um, using a sort of a PPP type arrangement. Hmm. And and I think the solar farm was a 30, 30 megawatt expansion, wasn't it? And then you've got a a, a third project which is. Relatively modest, or I might have misunderstood that up at Albany. I think it is. Yeah, look, that, that's right. So, so Greenwich was originally ten megawatts, and has expanded by thirty megawatts to forty megawatts, um, and that's just uh, just completing right now as well. Um, Waradaji is one hundred eighty megawatts, and then we've got Albany and Grassmere wind farms. Actually, two wind farms, but it's dealt with as a single, uh, single sort of asset. Um, down in Albany, which is 36 and a half megawatts, which is Albany is actually the oldest wind farm, utility wind farm in Australia. Uh, it was well, there's, there's two yeah. points of historical significance there. As you said, uh, Albany is the um, the oldest um, um, wind farm still operating in Australia, and Grenoff River was actually the first um, utility scale solar farm built in Australia, which was actually in 2012. And um, I remember going, going to, to to the launch of that. flew all, flew all the way across to WA and then um, flew up to Geraldton and then drove out to um, uh, Greenough River and um, had the uh, the charming um, WA Energy Minister of the time and um, his name escapes me, but um, he said um, this is the first solar farm uh, we've built here and I hope it's the last. But um, it wasn't didn't quite get his wish didn't quite get his wish at the time because I think there's been a few others. But uh, anyway. Just a point of reference. Yeah. Um, so, so Greenough, so Greenough River has been completed now. That that expansion. I haven't actually heard much media on that. So that thirty. When was that complete? Well, look, it's really just completing now. We're just we're just finalising uh, practical completion right now on that project. Uh, but it's been producing at forty megawatts um, since the uh, the end of July. Um, so it's just taken a bit of time to sort out the contractual ins and outs and. Uh, and Tom, what what kind of capacity factor uh, on the solar are you up around? I, I presume that uh, should I assume that's uh, single axis tracking and with a capacity factor closer to thirty percent than anything else. 
Yeah, look, so the original 10 megawatts is, is, is uh, single, is, is fixed. Um, and then the extension is, uh, is on single axis tracking. Um, yeah, it's something around that order. I, I can't recall that the, the, each individual bit has obviously got a different capacity factor and then, then it combines to be a, a, a combined one. Um, yeah, I can't recall off the top of my head, but it's something around that 30%, yeah. And that, and, and I mean, uh, again, I think the West Australian electricity market averages around about four gigawatts of demand. Uh, 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 and I think there's a bit over one and a bit gigawatts of total solar. And I think something like 600 megawatts of wind. Um, with your, I mean, is your fund going to be re restricted to West Australia? And do you see more near-term opportunities to, to keep growing? So look, we are, we're not, technically we're not restricted to Western Australia on a practical level. Uh, I, I think it, I'd be surprised if Bright Energy does do anything outside Western Australia, primarily because um, all of our assets to date have had PPAs with Synergy and, and, and it doesn't make much sense for Synergy to contract outside the Swiss. Um, so um, yeah, theoretically we could we could build things and own things elsewhere, but I think it's unlikely. Um, and um, as far as um, as 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 pipeline, um, well, as far as constraints, um, we we Waradaji um, is under the what they call the GIA connections. So this is the interim access arrangements that we have in the Swiss. Um, and that does mean that at times when um, the network reaches capacity, we do get constrained. And we and the the, the Zas and Bajingara and Meriden Solar Farm who are on GIA, um, and we get constrained. But the the legacy projects um, all have unconstrained access at the moment. I mean, regulatory changes are coming in to change that over the over the coming years. Um, but uh, but right now. Um, we do get um, constrained uh, under that GIA framework, um, you know, and it, it happens, probably happens more than we were expecting, to be honest. Um, is that, that, yeah. that going to affect your 50% um, capacity factor um, um, assessment, Dan? Because um, obviously the, the, the wind resources there is to deliver the 50% capacity factor, but the, um, the, the, the network might not be um, able to accommodate that by the sounds of things. Yeah, look, it's. I mean, it, it's happening more than we expected, but it's not. Uh, it's it's not enough to register yeah. at, at that level. Yeah, I mean, well, I, we hope I, I, it's I, not. We, we haven't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to tease out that fifty percent capacity factor. So, um, two questions I've got is one: what does that effectively mean in the terms of the amount of time you're actually generating? Presumably, it means that you're generating about ninety percent of the time, or about eighty-five percent of the time, and then when you are generating at some reasonably significant amounts. And secondly. Can you just sort of dig down on what that means for price? Um, we talked to Alinta Energy CEO Jeff Dimery um, last year, and he was talking about Yandon Wind Farm, which I think has a similar capacity factor um, anticipated. And he was talking about a price in the sort of the forty dollars a megawatt hour. And we've seen a couple of really interesting deals over the last couple of months from um, Neowen, uh, particularly with Goida South and South Australia. Um, with um with something in the high with the mid to high 30s so um can you give any sort of indication about where you are somewhere between the mid to high 30s to the mid to high 40s in terms of price 
Look, I'm I'm afraid I can't I can't uh, go into those sort of uh, confidential details of, of where we are. Um, we'll we'll just have to wildly speculate then. <laughs> yeah, you'll just have to wildly speculate. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, um, okay. Sorry about that. Um, I, yeah, I think our synergy partners would be uh, uh, would be upset if we did. Okay. Divulge that uh, details. And and so, do you have a pipeline of other projects coming down the road? Then, look, I mean, we 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 don't have as much of a pipeline as I would have would like to see. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you guys have have had a look at the uh, statement of opportunities that came out recently um, for the Swiss, um, but uh, you know, there isn't forecast to be a great deal of of, of renewables in in the immediate. Um, you know, now that these projects have been constructed, um, it, it, we've got a period of time whilst um, Synergy um, still have Muja running, Muja um, uh, A and B are, are still running, and um, you know, I think at the moment they've they've also um, heavily locked into gas contracts that. Uh, um, that that uh, those commitments make it difficult for Synergy to um, to, to justify uh, building out more capacity um, at, at the moment. Unfortunately, um, the only thing that I mean, we do have a second stage of Waradaji, um, and um, if we can can find some load, we could we could possibly build out um, that uh, that second stage. Um, so um, that's that's something that uh, that we're hoping we can organise. Um, but the other thing that's quite exciting is um, the battery announcement from from the uh, from WA government um, at the end of last week. Um, we're hoping that uh, Bright gets an opportunity to be involved with that, um, and that would be a, a a pretty exciting opportunity to be involved with. Tom can. Can, can, I, can I ask before we get to the battery, which is uh, always popular, but it interests me. How, uh, uh, Synergy, as you mentioned, has basically a lot of existing thermal assets of one sort or another. Um, mm. Why do they even want to have wind and solar assets? What, what's in it for Synergy to have this part? They want the renewable energy certificates, which they have to have. Uh, but but over and beyond that, don't, uh, are they aligned with renewable energy really, uh, in a sense? And and as, as the sole contractor, I mean, it makes it difficult for you if you wanted, I don't know, say BHP wanted to sign up a PPA um, outside of it. In a sense, they'd be competing with Synergy's other interests, wouldn't it, or something? I, I, the West Australian market's a bit strange to me. Yeah, so look, I mean... Um... As far as signing up with BHP or someone, I think we would we would try and structure that through um, through Synergy, uh, so corporate PPA between Synergy and, and BHP, for example, or, or whoever it may be, and we would provide the power to uh, to Synergy. Um, you know, that's assuming that someone wanted a grid connected um, power. Um, so, but look it, again, in theory, we are not precluded from um, fr from Signing up other PPAs under our um, our charters, um, but in reality, um, if we did that, um, we would have to have arrangements. I think where Synergy wouldn't be tipping money into there. I don't know that the Western Australian government would be 
uh, be be contributing to uh, to a project that that doesn't flow through Synergy. Uh, but but I may be wrong about that. Um, but the other half of the part of the question was um, why why does Synergy want to do it and are they aligned? Look, the, originally for Waradaji and for Greneth, um, LGCs was, was definitely a part of the picture, is what they were, were, were trying to, to get from there. Um, but um, they, they are aligned and they would certainly um, you know, have ambitions uh, to do more renewables. Um, but um, you know, they, they have a lot of business constraints on them. As we say, they've got a lot of thermal assets that, that are there and they've got commitments around those, whether they're around the fuel supply or the um, the assets uh, in, in, in total. I mean, Muja is due to retire um, 2024, I think the last one comes to an end, um, but um, but it depends on what happens, obviously, in, in the uh, in the network in, in between as to as to what uh, um, what what synergy is looking for to in the way of replacing Muja. So tell us more about the big battery plan. Um, that's 100 megawatts and 200 megawatt hours. So two hours of storage, I think, is is the rough equation that they're talking about now. So um, what do you see that's attractive about that? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's my understanding of the numbers. I, I think it's uh, a really interesting thing for, for Western Australia, for the Swiss. Um, there's most definitely a need um, for for all the things that batteries can bring, bring whether it's... Uh, um, uh, in synthetic inertia or, um, or uh, uh, essential services, as they call them over here, um, and, as, and arbitrage as well, because the, you know, the, uh, the, the duck curve in, in Western Australia is, is particularly severe, um, and, and it's getting more so. Um, and as, uh, as the rooftop solar increases, um, the the network gets closer and closer to to its sort of critical um, uh, generation of from from controlled sources, um, and the big battery would definitely be able to step in and uh, and address some of those uh, those grid concerns. Um, I mean, at the moment, um, I think AEMO have been uh, have been trying to persuade people to build batteries. Um, we've been saying, well. We need some some market drivers to make that happen, um, and they are working their way through uh, with the uh, um, the regulatory changes that are working through right now. But then they're, they're not there quite yet. Um, but I think if Synergy does go ahead with uh, with this, and I, and I believe they will, um, I think as the first mover, um, they're certainly going to be in a in a very good position. Um, so, um, I mean, at the moment, most of the, the FCAS type services are, are provided under uh, bilateral contracts in, in the Swiss. Um, we don't have the open FCAS market that, that exists in the NEN yet. Uh, but when the regulatory changes come in um, and introduce those services, um, then the economics of the battery change. And if, if Synergy um, is able to, to build this battery um, in, in preparation for that, um, I think it would be a, a, a great asset. Hmm. And, and Tom, uh, I, I, I'm, well, I'll come back to uh, uh, like the battery is sort of interesting, but uh, it, very interesting. But I, I do see that synergy. You know, you have to. Uh, you know, I, I'm an open markets kind of guy, and I, 
I, I, I'm not really a fan of state monopolies, but anyway, that's the way it is in West Australia. But I want to just ask, uh, talking about it in transmission. I mean, it seems to me that if uh, if we're going, to, if you if there was to be a decent expansion of utility scale renewable energy in West Australia, that some more transmission would need to be built over there as well. Can I mean? How, how do you see the transmission yeah. outlook, uh, you know, if I look forward over the next 10 years? Look, there's, there's most definitely a need for, for transmission investment. Um, both, uh, you know, there's, there's two or three, I think there's four items identified in the uh, statement of opportunities. Um, but um, the, the one uh, that includes upgrading the line out to the goldfields and, and some additional substations and, and bits and pieces. But the one upgrade that really will make a difference is the um, the line that goes north from Perth that, that we connect into and Yandin connects into, uh, 3.30 line there. That was built as a, as a twin line and they've only uh, strung one of those lines. Um, if they were to string a second line down there, that would facilitate um, a, a lot more renewables um, up and down that coast, which has got this fantastic capacity factor um, and uh, you know I, I'm it's a it's Western powers investment but um, and I understand it's not a huge amount of money I mean I'm not uh, you know I, I'm not party to all the details but I understand it's not a huge amount of money um, because the pylons are already there um, you know there's some upgrades to the substations and, and stringing putting that second uh, line along there that that would facilitate uh, a lot more renewables um, being able to, to be brought into the sphere. David, I was wondering while we're talking about transmission, might um, have, have cast our eye back over to the eastern states just um, very briefly, because there's been a couple of interesting transmission developments um, over over here. First one's up north in Queensland, PowerLink. Um, they're going to be... We, we saw, interestingly, in the last day before the... Um, the Queensland government went to their caretaker period. They snuck another contract out, some from Cleanco, and once again it was NeoN that won the contract. So congratulations to them. They're going to build a 157 megawatt um, wind farm cabane in near Cairns. Um, that's in a reasonably weak area part of the grid up there. A couple of other sort of wind and solar farms have been constrained, and um, so PowerLink have come up with this idea of selling a synchronous condenser, building a synchronous condenser, and selling it as a service, which. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, one, they're sort of not waiting for the regulator to declare a system strength shortfall and then going through that whole period of just sort of building one. Two, it means that individual wind and solar farms don't have to do it themselves. But three, I guess, David, um, shouldn't they be actually just be making sure there's enough system strength in the system anyway? It's their grid. Uh, yes, well, I mean, there's going to be three renewable energy zones, aren't there, Giles, in Queensland that the Queensland government's attempting to support. And uh, this new wind farm uh, is at Cairns, which, for those who, who know, is the far, essentially far north Queensland. And uh, there is the, I think it's the Mount Emerald wind farm up there already, which is, uh, and it's an absolutely fantastic wind resource up in that north Queensland. Uh, just like in West Australia, it's uh, diurnal, it, it blows, it's, it's not, it's negatively correlated with wind in the southeast of Australia. So that's fantastic. But of course, it's thousands of kilometres from from load, big load. I don't also think you can, uh, you know, if I go back to the powering North Queensland kind of concept, uh, the other thing in the federal budget uh, uh, was the some support for copper string, uh, which has got support also from the Queensland government. 
and that would uh, put another 700 megawatts, no, 400 megawatts of load uh, onto the system there. And you could see that North Queensland becoming a much more viable kind of project if you want to see the whole uh, sort of thing connected. If you look at it from a transmission perspective, um, uh, you know, my question is why even do synchronous condensers? Can't we find a more modern way to do it? But uh, if we are going to do synchronous condensers, um, uh, then it's great to see them being built ahead of when they're actually going to be needed. And as to how they should be paid for, in the very end, the consumer is going to pay for it. But whether the intermediary step is, is whether it just goes into the transmission bill or whether putting a synchronous condenser in becomes a, something that the um, generator is billed for and then the generator builds the customer through the PPA, um, doesn't really make that much difference in the end. Mm, good question. Interesting. Um, another big I mean, transmission. Think, no, go ahead, Tom. I, I think, from my point of view, if, if Clinco are there and they can they can commit to providing that and, and give us a price that we can factor into our financial models at, at the investment stage, you know, I, I think it's, it's possibly quite a good solution. And 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 maybe it 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 doesn't require you know everyone to be building a, a synchronous condenser at their own plant. But, but I do agree, I think a, a, a battery is, is probably a better way to go. Um, by the time they build these things, you know, it's, it's probably, I would have thought a battery makes more sense. Hmm. Another big transmission line, David, Project Energy Connect. Um, we've um, we've seen the, the well, interestingly, um, Electronet and Transgrid have both done their sums. There's a bit of a cost blowout happening there, but they're telling us that it's still... It still deliver um, a, a net benefit if you just even just think about the wholesale market prices and of course more wider benefits because it'll affect um, it, it'll it'll just sort of help the energy transition sort of more generally and uh, support renewable energy zones. Um, did you dig, have, have a chance to dig deep into that and um, come up with some thoughts about that? Uh, look, the war will be over by Christmas, uh, Giles, uh, and uh, uh, Energy Project Energy Connect will probably be built ahead of. Uh, uh, Origins, uh, uh, Gold, um, Stockyard Hill Wind Farm. But, I mean, it's a close race to see who can come last, I must say. They're both... Uh, it, uh, it was, I think it was in January that this thing got, got past its RIT test. And here we are now in October, and they're promising it'll be done uh, in 2020. Or well, not promising, but saying it. But, but it's, that's a long, long time to get the final amount of regulatory approval um, it went in a transmission-constrained world. As far as what uh, um, Transgrid are asking for, they're essentially asking for to get the same amount of total revenue expressed in real dollars, but just to get more of it up, more of that revenue front loaded and less of it at the end. That's really what it amounts to. Not in a sense all that different to accelerated depreciation uh, um, uh, for those people who, who care about these topics. And uh, it, I'll be interested to see how that goes with the AEMC. I think the AEMC won't necessarily jump on it because in the end, uh, it will result in uh, slightly higher costs in net present value terms for the consumers. That's what it really amounts yeah. to. Although I think with interest rates as low as they are, the difference is uh, pretty negligible. And if the RIT test only allowed uh, broader benefits to be considered uh, more more easily, then we would have got this project up and approved with its higher budget a long time ago. Hmm. 
Tom, um, um, uh, David sort of pointed out the diurnal um, benefits on the um, or, or the benefits of uh, the, the the wind resource up in North Queensland, which um, you sort of said is the, the same in WA. And David, in fact, is um, or has been a fan of a link from South Australia to Queensland to sort of try and um, tap into this and some of the other resources in between. People like Mike Cannon Brooks are talking about sort of HVDC lines from Northern Territory and going overseas, and there's some discussion even of well, you know, why don't we have one going across Nullarbor, linking the um, the two sides of Australia, WA and um, Eastern States? Is that a conversation that's been had over in, in WA at all? Is there any interest there um, in in that happening? No, they're, they're busy putting up the borders, not taking them down. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, ah, um, <laughs> oh, look. To be honest, not not really. I mean, it has it is a, an idea that's kind of floated out there, but I think it's probably considerably cheaper to put it under the ocean than it is to to run it over land. To be honest, um, but uh, look, I, I mean, obviously haven't run the numbers on that, but I um, but I think uh, that the, the the distance and the cost, um, I'd be surprised right now if that if that makes much sense but because uh, mm. um, I, I would have thought we're, that you're closer to Singapore there aren't you and uh, than you are say South Australia but um, but I might, mm. I might be wrong about that um, and um, you know once you've uh, uh, once you've got got cable on a ship I think it goes in fairly quickly whereas I think putting something over, um, right over the Nullarbor um, might cost more but yeah. mm. But no, the answer is not, not, no, no one's really not talking right. about it. No real solution interest. David, is there um, anything else to sort of remark upon from this last week? I mean, we did have the budget. I mean, renewables were barely mentioned, and um, climate was mentioned only in the context that they were going to build five new gas fields. But um, <laughs> that was a bit disappointing. Certainly no Green New Deal can be seen anywhere in Australia, apart from the States. No. No, and I've seen some funny forecasts coming out from the investment banks that electricity prices are going to go zooming up. Uh, but I don't think, uh, uh, you know, eventually, but uh, at ITK, we, we don't support that view. And I would add that there was a fairly gloomy, uh, not unexpected, but nevertheless still was gloomy um, uh, CEO speech from Brett Redmond at AGL today about the outlook and pointing out how much pressure AGL is under from falling electricity prices at the moment. And, you know, in, in even giving $8 million to, um, uh, to Vales Point B, sun, Sunset Power, if that keeps that going, I mean, it just will come at the cost of some other thermal generator that isn't getting a subsidy of any sort because there is all this new supply coming on the market. Uh, it's locked in and it's just going to be putting tremendous pressure on everyone. And yet we still see this fantastic interest in renewable projects uh, uh, despite the fact that the price outlook for everyone, whether you're wind, solar, uh, gas, hydro or coal, that the price outlook is, is terrible for everyone for the next few years, quite frankly. So uh, it's good to have great interest. But, uh, um, uh, you know, the only thing I would say is getting it done, getting the new capacity built, because I think some of these coal generators are going to be closing anyway. They're just going to be competed out of the market. But the budget certainly uh, doesn't seem to recognise that just yet. Look, I think it's probably time to wrap up um, for today. Um, Tom, thanks for joining us um, over from Bright Energy Investments in, um, in, in WA and look, good luck with the Waradaji um, wind farm. Uh, just one very quick last question for you. Um, if you are going to expand that, are you going to do what, um, what some of your neighbours have done and, and add a bit of solar or, or will it be just wind? Oh, look, 
be honest, right now, WA doesn't need much more utility solar. So okay. it's something we've <laughs> contemplated, but we just don't see it working. Um, I, I, I think that's highly unlikely. But, you know, you never know how things might change. You know, a battery might help. <laughs> but yeah. uh, no, right, right now, I think our main concern is, you know, negative pricing in the middle of the day and so forth because of all the solar that's already there. Mm, okay. Well, may all your constraints be short and sweet. And um, good luck with the uh, good luck with the project, um, David. Thank you very much once again. Um, and um, no, no, thanks, Giles. Thanks for the invitation, and, and thanks to uh, to uh, Tom. Um, and uh, you know, um, uh, it's still all systems go in the electricity. Oh, you know, we talked about transmission. I just want to point out that these uh, issues. Uh, my my one more little last word is that these things happen all over the world. Uh, we recently saw in the international developments tremendous progress in Europe about uh, and in the UK and and a, and a sort of rah-rah speech from Boris Johnson who wants to distract attention, uh, but uh, in my view, but uh, about building the offshore wind industry uh, in in the UK out by I think 40 or 50 gigawatts is, is the number that comes straight to mind, but they don't have the transmission capacity either. So I mean the point about this is. Uh, you've got to listen to your system planners and get you, if you want to do this properly, it's like building houses without building foundations. You've got to build a transmission and links, work out where it's all going to go, like they did in Texas, very successfully. Then you might make some money, like everyone does in Texas too. Thank you very much, David. I think we'll end it there with a thank you also to our sponsors, Evergen and Pylon. Thank you very much for your ongoing support. And we'll be back again this time next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy of the future.